All right, good morning. How are we doing today? Good. All right, I heard a few goods. That's good. Uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. And that's, that's good. You're back for round two. We've got five rounds of this. This should be fun. Um, I think so. I'm also like, this is about the point where I kind of realize I may have bit off more than I can chew. Um, but, you know, we'll suffer together. We'll suffer together. It's going to be good. Solidarity, right? You guys are like, nope. We can decide whether or not we want to come. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to get going. My name is Austin. Uh, I'm part of the team here at Waypoint, and I really am so glad that you're here. Um, W.M. Lewis said, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. I think we all really want life to the fullest. We want more than mere existence. We want a life that is worth living. And we want something real, not fake or fairy tale, a life with substance and significance, real and true life. That's what we're talking about in this series called Real Life. And we're going through, as we're, how we're talking about it is we're going through the letter of 1 John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, together learning what John um, has to say about real life. And he opens up the first paragraph in his letter. He informs us that real life is found in the way and life of Jesus, who literally embodied, became real life life eternal. And by real life, we're talking about the life that Jesus invites us to live as we follow him and have fellowship with him, abundant life, a glimpse of the future life promised now in the present, life to the fullest, as Jesus said himself, a life with substance and significance, real and true in fellowship with the God who created it all. That's what we're talking about. That's why I do believe it's important to be here for the next four or five weeks, and just and all times, not just for the next five, four or five weeks, <laughs> to be in fellowship with each other and with God. This is part of that. We come together uh, to fellowship with God through fellowship with his son, Jesus, by believing in him as the Messiah the Savior of the world who died for our sins and rose from the dead, conquered death once and for all so that all who come to him, who repent and turn from their evil ways, will have eternal life. And not just eternal life as in that, that long time from now, like life after death sort of thing, but this idea that it is that future promised age that we talked about last week, that eternal life, that doesn't get translated well into our scriptures, but that life is here and now in the present, and that's what I'm referring to as real life, the promised life to us. Out of that fellowship we can have with Jesus flows this idea of walking in the light. We read about this in 1 John last week, uh, chapter 1, um, six through seven. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light 
As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We touched on what it means to walk in the light a bit last week, but this week we're really going to hone in on what it looks like as John elaborates on that in that idea in chapter 2. Which leads me to the question this morning, does anyone here, um, like me, enjoy singing hymns? You're like, whoa, curveball, where are we going here? Yeah, it's okay, we can raise our hands. We can raise our hands. Anyone here enjoy singing hymns? Okay, Luis, take notes. Okay, cool. Not very many, but we're here. I see you. All right, stay with me. I'm a big fan of hymns, <clears throat> especially when, the, when there are bands that I enjoy, that I like a lot, when they take old hymns and they give them like this fresh new feel with a different sound. I, I especially love that. Um, but one of the reasons I, I personally love hymns is because of the story that they tell. Most hymns are linear in the sense that they move from one idea to another, right? That makes sense to us. We kind of like linear tracks of thought, not the way I preach for the most part, okay? But um, (laughs) linear ideas. And so that's one of the main reasons I like hymns. Um, We feel like we're moved somewhere. Sometimes in the music we sing today, it's a little bit more repetitive, right? Right? I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. Just like, right? And we sing of his love forever until the day we die, right? For all eternity. Um, Some of us might find this tedious um, or annoying. Like how many times do we need to sing the exact same thing? Oh, seven times. Okay, here we go. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Right? Okay. You get the point. You get where I'm going here, right? Sometimes we sing, and it gets a little repetitive, and I get it, and I've been annoyed at times too. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Since the early church, you'll find that there have been traditions within the church that have some sense of deliberate repetition as an essential part of worship. Why? Why is that? Why are those songs so repetitive? Why are there aspects of, of liturgical church that are so repetitive? We say the exact same thing every time. We sit up, stand, you know, stand up, sit down at the same times every time. Like, why, why is it that there's so much repetition sometimes in our faith? Because repetition can touch deep down inside of us parts of us that other safer kinds of hymns cannot reach, or at least not reach often. Repetition has this powerful effect in the world around us and on us. And the reason I say this is because 1 John is repetitive. It's repetitive. You will see words and the themes repeated as we go through the series, and it might be tempted to get frustrated and think, all right, awesome, move on already. Or John, move on already, come on. Right? How many times do we need to talk about light and forgiveness and truth and love How many times? As many times as it takes for you to realize the truth about how much Jesus loves you and forgives you. As many many times as it takes for that light to turn on and for you to walk out of this place with a vision for the world around you and of who you are and of who you are to God, firmly grounded in the love of Jesus so that you don't have to stumble and fall and struggle in darkness anymore. As many times as it takes... So as we read today, let us not be tempted to think, I've heard this before, as we probably have, but rather, what particular point is John trying to make at this time? 
So let's dive in. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. If you've got your Bibles or you've got the Bible app, I invite you to follow along, or you can just it'll obviously be on the screens behind me too. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Here's John calling people a liar again. And the truth is not in that person. Now, we may think of his commands when we hear that in terms of the Ten Commandments, which for some of us will take our imaginations back to, right, like long-haired, bearded Moses, right? And for others of us, it takes us back to like some antique signboard hanging on the church wall as a warning to everyone thinking of, uh, of, of transgressions, right? With some old letters right there, don't do this, better do this. And so we might wonder, what is a Christian writer like John doing referring to the commandments and our duty to keep them? Haven't we been told that we are forgiven? Isn't part of the New Testament referring to the new commands? Like, isn't part of the New Testament the fact that we are free from the law of the commandments? Isn't that true? Yes and no. The commandments were a kind of advanced signpost sketching out at long range of what a genuine, lovely, fruitful human life would look like. They only became this terrible, horrible thing as people realized that they couldn't keep them and didn't keep them. But they remained. They remained looking forward to God's coming day. And now, as we found out in that first chapter last week, God's coming day, the real life of this new future age has come rushing forward to meet us here in the present, in the person of Jesus himself. So that, so we should, we should expect that in him, in Jesus, we will dis- discover a reality, a new reality of which the commandments were an advanced signpost on, a real life of what that looks like for us today. And so we do. We do get that, but it doesn't look like what everyone else would have imagined. For John and Paul, and above all for Jesus, the commandments are summed up in one word. What's that word? Love. Love. The life of God's new age is revealed as the love of God's new age. All the other commandments, the details of what to do and what not to do, are the outflowing of this one word, love. This love, which has been newly revealed in Jesus. The love which God now intends should be revealed in and through all of those who follow Jesus. Which is why John goes on to say in verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. But if anyone obeys his word, obeys the command, the commands, the one command, all the commands that Jesus sucked up into one command to love then love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know. Whoever claims to live in him, Jesus, 
must live as Jesus did. Excuse me, sorry. Highlight, underline, emphasize that word, that phrase, that sentence in your Bibles, friends. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Walk as Jesus walked. Live as Jesus lived. If you want to walk in the light, you've got to walk like Jesus. We're not going to be perfect. We know we're going to mess up and we're going to sin. Just go read the start of this chapter, right? John knows this too. Go read verses 1 and 2. He says it right there from the beginning. That doesn't change the fact that this should be our focus as followers of Christ, to walk as Jesus walked, to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved. John goes on in verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. All right, John, which one is it? I'm getting a little confused here. The truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. The Greeks had two different words for, for new. One means new in time, and the other means new in quality. For example, you would use the first word to describe like the latest car or the newest model of a car, right? But if you purchased a car that was so like revolutionary, okay, something that just made it radically different, you would use the second word, new in quality. Okay, we might use the words recent and fresh to make about that, that distinction. Okay, recent means new in time, and fresh means like new in character. It's like, kind of like these bands taking an old hymn, making it new. They're kind of giving it something fresh about it. There's something fresh and new about the hymn. Okay, so because this isn't necessarily a new command, right, he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, one that you've had since the beginning, since Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Okay, so this isn't a new command. It's actually an old command. But it's not in the sense that, we're using, that we are thinking of it as new, as like it, as something in time. Okay, because if, if Moses had heard Jesus talk about love, he would have said, that's it. That is what is at the heart of these commandments. That's what these commandments were all about, love. You see, in Jesus, the command is made fresh. In Jesus, it is made new. He's writing you a new command because the truth is seen in him and it is seen in you because this darkness is already passing. This new commandment is already shining true light in the world through Jesus and through us in fellowship with him. So this, this new command, revolutionary, radically different, is made new in a sense, because it's coming into the present with Jesus himself as a gift from God's future. Love is the word that best describes the real life of God's future, of God's eternal life, love. And we get to experience it and practice it here and now. In Jesus, we have a lamp unto my feet 
and a light unto my path. That's Psalm 119, 105. There are lots of Psalms talking about the word being a light in our lives. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Therefore, anyone who claims to be in the light, who claims to walk in the light, in fellowship with Jesus, must love their brother and sister and they will not walk in darkness. John says they will not stumble. He says they will know where they are going because they know who they are following. They will know where they're going, where they're walking, because they know who they're following. To walk in the light, to be in fellowship with Jesus at its core means to love. And it would appear that just writing about that love sends this letter, sends John into a bit of a dance break here, um, where John breaks out into song or something like that. Um, we're not really sure. Uh, or at least it's written like a song or a poem. In verse 12, he says, I am writing to you, dear children, which is like a sense of endearment um, to the church he's writing to, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Quick note, some people have tried to like separate these into who John might be talking to, the children being like the church as a whole, the fathers kind of being older Christians or maybe fathers of, fathers of the certain church, and the younger people being like newer Christians um, or, or maturing Christians. Um, I think that's okay. I think we can do that. I think we can try to pull things uh, from here and make those distinctions. Um, but back to my point about repetition. John is addressing and assuring his readers here about something, and in a way that is different from the rest of his letter, in a way that's like a song or like a poem. And so in a way that, that repetition might penetrate your heart, your soul, I want to read this, and I just ask you to consider what might God be saying to you in this repetition? I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young children, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Man, if you were to just read those over yourself every day, maybe in the morning, before you go to work or at night before you go to bed. That truth, those truths of your lives. Man, I can't imagine the kind of days you would have. Yeah, gonna, you're going to have difficult days. But you will have this truth, this love to cling to, to operate out of. John continues in verse 15. He goes on, he talks about who we should love, 
And then he says who we, what we shouldn't love or what we shouldn't love. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Whoever obeys that command to love lives forever, has that life, that eternal life, that real life. But John warns us, and he warns us of some temptations here, these temptations of the world. These aren't new. These are the temptations that have been from the beginning. It was these very same temptations that trapped Eve back in the garden. I'm just going to read for you Genesis 3.6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took the fruit. Friends, as we walk in the light, as we walk in the light in fellowship with Jesus, we will see sin for what it actually is. We will see the world for what it actually is, and we must turn from it. We must hate it, so to speak. Not in a sense of like, man, you know, the opposite of love, but in a sense of like, it, our love for Jesus should be so up here that the world's temptations and desires don't even come close. When you read about Jesus saying, you must hate your father, that's often the distinction he's trying to make. Like, listen, your allegiance, your love for me should be way up here in comparison to your other allegiances, in comparison to the rest of the world. The world in this context is not the physical world around us or the people in it, for that matter but the ways in which the world works. The kingdom of Jesus is set up against the world. The way of Jesus is upside down here, where the last is first and the first shall be last, where we are to love the least of these, where the smallest and youngest are welcomed up front and the oppressed and marginalized are welcomed and cared for. We cannot be of the kingdom and of the world. It won't work. The same way you cannot serve two masters. When we walk in the light, we walk in the radical love of the kingdom. We're going to wrap this up. It's going to get a little revelation-y here, so don't, don't freak out. Dear children, verse 18, this is the last hour, he says. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. All right. Stop. We need context. <laughs> okay. Right? I don't want to freak you all out. Anytime like, I feel like language like this comes up, we kind of like, oh boy, we're talking about, and that was this kind of Sunday? I should have known. I should have known. Right? Okay. Now, when he refers to the last hour, okay, the last hour began with the death and resurrection of Jesus. His second coming could literally occur at any time. It could. Only God knows. Only the Father knows. Okay, now, also, I think it might be helpful for us to um, talk about this word antichrist. Uh, this word has a lot of con connotations, um, much of which have a lot of like speculation and fear uh, around it, sadly. Um, and and it, may sh it should help us to get behind uh, what John is, has in mind um, when he writes this. And I think he's, he's referring to the Hebrew form of antichrist, which would be anti-messiah. 
And you're like, Austin, how is that different? Um, well, because it, it comes down to the phrasing of the word. And actually, I just want to talk about it, because like I said, anytime the word antichrist comes up, people get weird. Okay? Um, so let's talk about anti-Messiah. Anti being against. Some have it translated as false, but I think in this context, it's against Messiah. Anointed one. That's what Messiah means. It's what Christ means. Anointed one. So you have against the anointed one. Everything the Messiah stands for. Anti-Messiah. This is how we know it is the last hour. Sorry, I'm just going to keep, keep going here because I'm running out of time. Uh, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, right? That just makes sense. Okay, this is some context. There were some things going on at the time when John wrote this letter that some people were leaving because of the Gnostics, right, and the docetism that we talked about last week. Okay, that's, that's last week. Okay, so they're leaving, and he's like, they would have remained with us if they, had, if, they weren't, if they had actually believed in who Jesus said he was and what he has called us to do and what that age looks like now in the present Love. They would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. That word anointing is that anointed one. It's like, like many form. You are Messiah. Not like heretical, like you're the Messiah. No, like, like Jesus has now anointed you from the Holy One. And all of you now know the truth of the gospel, of who Jesus is. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Such a person is the Anti-Messiah. Such a person who denies who Jesus is and why he has come and what he has done is Anti-Messiah. Denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father or no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Friends, we might not deny Jesus Christ with our lips. But I think a serious question we need to ask ourselves or consider every day is do our actions say otherwise? When we aren't loving, we are anti-love. We are against love with our actions. We are, in fact, anti-messiahs. Denying the love of the Father, shared with the Son, shared with us, to share with others. When we perpetuate hate in the world, we not only break relationship with God and others, but we also fail in our role as anointed ones, as these little mini-messiahs to point to the Messiah. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that. We're anointed by the Messiah. So we fail in our role as little anointed ones who are called to share the love of the anointed one. Love. You cannot be in fellowship with God and not love your brother or your sister. You cannot love God and not love others. It doesn't work that way. To love God, you have got to love others. 
As for you, he continues in verse 24, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. See what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And what have we heard from the beginning? Let's go read 1 John, that first paragraph again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, looked at, and our hands have touched. We proclaim this concerning the word of life, real life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, that future promise of real life that God has for us is now here, it has appeared with us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. If we claim to have fellowship with him and don't have love, we lie and we fail to live out the truth. There is no truth without love. If we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. That is a word for us today. He goes on, if it does, you will also remain in the Father and in the Son. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. He finishes, technically he doesn't finish. We're gonna go into next week with it. But I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray, those people that left and, and went to um, a different, uh, th those anti-messiahs. And he says, uh, I'm writing these things about those who are trying to lead you astray. They don't love. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. I'm out of a job, I guess. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. What he means by that is that love, that love that you have experienced from the Father in fellowship with him, we reflect that love. It teaches us how to love. It shows us how to love. We're going to talk more about love in a couple weeks here, um, so I want to kind of leave that for that. But remain in him, it says. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. Remain in Jesus. Walk in the light as he is in the light. So 1 John chapter 2 is a convicting word. For me, I'll speak for myself. Um, man, yeah, I'll speak for myself. Especially as it warns against what it looks like to be anti-Christ, anti-Messiah. Especially as a teacher, maybe what it means to be anti-teacher. The question that I have to wrestle with on a regular basis is, am I living a life marked by love in fellowship with God and others? And I don't think this, this, is, this isn't a question just for those who are, who are teachers. This is really a question for all of us. Are you living a life marked by love in fellowship with God and others? As Jesus said, the marking sign of one of his disciples is how they love. John 13. This love should pervade every fiber of our being and leak out of us onto everything that we do and everyone that we touch. It's this idea that I get of being just absolutely sopping wet. 
Has anyone been around here when we baptize people? Okay. That's the idea I get. How this love. When someone gets baptized here, they go all the way under and they come out and then they step out of this little baptismal and they literally are so sopping wet that if we don't have mats out there, they will slide around on that cement floor out there. It's terrible. I've seen it happen. They're so wet that there is just this puddle of water coming from behind them. We are to be drenched in this love, completely soaked, so that as we go throughout our days, there's just a puddle of love behind us. Real life is a life drenched in love. Practically, what does that look like today? Well, this week I want to invite you to consider what it is that you're quick to become unloving over. What is it that you are quick to become unloving over? Is it your church or the way you think church should be? Is it your time? Is it your rights? Your politics? The way you do things? What is it? What is it that you are quick to become unloving over? And how then do you put that in the proper place? Underneath Jesus underneath your love and devotion to Jesus. When we fail to love, when we fail to love, because it's going to happen, may we always come back to a good God who is faithful and just to forgive us. A God who runs after us, who sent his son for our sins, who loves us that he would come in person to be with us among us, show us the way to walk in the light, to love the greatest command. Real life is a life of experiencing God's love and sharing that love with others. We mustn't hide the light. We mustn't hide God's love. We must live it out as we walk in the light with him. Amen? All right, band, you guys can come on up. I'm going to pray and we'll wrap this up. Jesus, as we consider the word, or the words of John in chapter 2, it's a lot. There's a lot going on here, God. And so I pray this morning, I, I, I couldn't touch on everything, but God, I pray this morning that there was something that spoke to each and every heart in this room um, that you put there. God, I pray that there were things that uh, were said or spoken this morning um, that they feel encouraged by you to dive in, to go read that part, to go check out your commandment, to go look at the ways that you loved people and showed us how to love people. 
God, most of all, I pray for this body of people to uh, leave this place. (laughs) To leave this place and to go out into our community and to be good news. To be little little anointed people who love. Who love because you first loved us. God, I do believe that kind of love uh, is, is radical but persuasive. It's electric. It's undeniable. It's humbling. And it's beautiful. I'm thankful for that love this morning, God. The love that you've shared with me. Pray that I might share that love too and that we might go and be loved as you loved us. We thank you for this time together this morning, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.